Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Race That Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, Flash. Each episode, I bring a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And this episode is no different. I am so excited to have Colette Ellis, who is the founder of the company Start Within Coaching, as well as the Libby Chatbot. I want to talk about a whole bunch of fun things that she's been doing, um, her really unique career journey, and so much more. It's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Colette. Hey, Laura. How are you? Oh, just plugging along, interviewing people <laughs> like a mad woman. <laughs> <laughs> Almost there. Almost there. Um, but it's been a delight um, over this 29 Days of Magic program. So um, I'm so excited to learn just more and more and more from great women like yourself. So it's super duper rewarding. Uh, and the podcast always has the same first question. So I'm excited to hear your answer. So Colette, what was your first job? Ooh, my first job. Wow, I can't think back that far. <laughs> it can be anyone you want. It could be your paper route. It could be your first undergrad. It doesn't matter. Well, okay. So, yeah, I did not have a paper route. I grew up in the Bronx, New York. So, no, I was not delivering <laughs> newspapers in the Bronx. Uh, I was a work-study student in college. So, I I worked everywhere from the dining hall to the Hood Museum, which I think that was probably my favorite job on campus, being able to see all the all of the art and have that back-end view of the museum. Oh, nice. And what did you, what were you, what were you doing when you were for the museum? I was working with the curator at the time. And so it was just really learning all about the collections and learning about how they find uh, new art to bring into the museum. And, and the museum has since been renovated and it's uh, amazing. I, last time I was up on campus, it was just so amazing to see. And then also now as an alum to be able to see, you know, how many alumni have art now um, in that Hood Museum at Dartmouth College. Oh, I saw so you ended up going to Dartmouth. Interesting. I did, yes. So I have a funny Dartmouth story for you. Oh, cool. Um, so I turned down a full ride to Dartmouth because my mom made me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, basically, I went on one of those, like, um, you're a very smart black child retreat. Yes, yes. Where, the, yes. Discover, the, the Discover Dartmouth weekend. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I took the bus up there with like 60 other kids. And we did the weekend and it was cool. It was my very first time away from my parents overnight at, at age like 17. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, for Caribbean, so no sleepovers ever in my life. Um, <laughs> uh, and I loved it. It was really cool, except for the trip back where our bus broke down somewhere oh. in Bumblehick, Massachusetts, I want to say. <laughs> um, and we all had to get off the bus because the bus was smoking. 
Oh no. Um, so imagine you have like, a, like you know, 50, 50 young black kids in the middle of nowhere all waiting for a bus and then go into like one of these little diners that's right there. Mm-hmm. It was like the scene from like um, a Western where everyone, someone walks through like the, the kind of panel doors and everyone kind of turns and looks and drops to cutlery and looks at you and you're like, right, right. oh, oh damn this is not good yeah yeah uh and it, it was it was a bit of a culture shock because i think i grew up rather sheltered uh and i thought it was funny i was like this is wild i made the mistake of telling my mom this story um and she was like she's like so if your car were to break down you could be somewhere like that and you might not be able to get home ever like no you're not doing this i'm like but mom um so hence the reason I did not go to Dartmouth. Um, but I yes. have a bunch of friends who who went on the trip and still went. So, you know, and they turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's you know, we laugh, but you know, that's the so I guess in those days it would have been riding the bus while black or entering a diner while black. So entering yeah, the diner while black, yes. I, I uh I you know, I, I can relate. I mean, fortunately I never had the car trouble experience. Um, but yeah, I think what I will say about that experience is that it did shape or begin to shape my political views just again right I'm from New York City grew up in the Bronx so yes it was culture shock in many ways for me as well so I think that it is interesting how our experiences shape us and and those experiences that we carry with us like I I was that kind of person where certain experiences like that made me more defiant like oh you're gonna look at me like that yeah well that's like and it's interesting like how we all respond to what's happening around us you know and in different ways at different times in our lives right sometimes we can be more defiant sometimes we can be more afraid right you know so it it, you just never know how it's all going to shape out yeah, I mean, I often think like, well, how would my career have been drastically different had I gone to Dartmouth? Because basically, I would have gone four years, no student loan debt. I mean, I ended up going to NYU, so like, no slouch either. Yeah. Um, um, but it's interesting to think about because you know, my three friends who went, you know, one's a doctor, two of them are lawyers, uh, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I wanted to be a lawyer from like, you know, Perry Mason and Colombo days, as a little kid. Yeah, uh, and, I did too. So. Yeah, I, I think it was the thing that little black girls wanted to be. Um, and it's just fascinating to think about, you know, I'm so grateful for the journey because it also like reminded me that like, even though like I you know, grew up upper middle class on Long Island, was going to private school, like that was one of the first like, you're still black experiences mm-hmm. that, I, that I had. And I think it's part of the reason why I do the work that I do now, whereby like, I want to make sure that there's space and comfort and a welcome for everyone so that people don't younger than me don't have to go through that. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. And my, my first experience of I'm still black was actually in high school, that experience of being the short story is that the, the, many of the people that were accepted into Dartmouth from my high school class, uh, we were all, black women, or at least the ones that I knew of, you know, in our inner circle and our valedictorian of the high school had applied and had not gotten in. And he um, is a young Jewish guy at the time. So 
and and it was weird because no one ever said it right it wasn't ever voiced right. like oh you got in because but that was that first time where I thought well I am smart I did earn it but then you have that questioning of oh wait did I really earn it am I really smart right and and so yeah so the work that I do now with coaching and all and all the healing work right I think it is based on those previous experiences of not wanting people to have to go through that again it's always it's always fascinating to see how like you know the things that happen when you're a teenager Mm -hmm. uh and the decisions that you make it's part of the reason why I always ask the first job question because the first jobs, everyone sort of pops into people's heads, always is endemic of where they are right now. Because the lessons they learned, the way they interacted, the things they learned, okay, I won't do that ever again. Um, or yes, I, I will absolutely love people, or I absolutely hate people, so I'll never work in that industry. Um, always kind of come through whenever we chat about the podcast. So it is, you know, uh, it is fascinating to see where uh, folks end up landing. So we go from working in the museum to now what's that career to have been like <laughs> how, <laughs> how long how long is your show no um <laughs> <laughs> well uh, half an hour. <laughs> yeah right I mean so I hinted at right so I had also had those goals of being a lawyer that's what I thought if you had asked me when I graduated from Dartmouth I worked at the uh, DA's office here in New York City I worked in a law firm in New York City. And I think that that was another one of those pivotal moments where I just the experience of being in a big law firm. And I always remember that the one experience that always sticks in my head is the, you know, the first time I worked, you know, over 24 hours, you know, and and you're obviously in the office, like at that time, like didn't have no change of clothes, right? So you're obviously in the same clothes. And, and the only focus is on did it get done, right? There's no, there's no focus on the human, right? The person as in, you know, how are you? Did you get some sleep? Blah, 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 blah. Um, So those were those first moments of like, I really love the law. I mean, I studied constitutional law. I was a law team girl in high school, right? So like you, Perry Mason, yeah, law, uh, what was the LA Law, all those shows, right? So I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the prosecutor. But then that was when it shifted to, okay, if this isn't the right environment, now what, right, if I'm not going to go to law school? And so then it, I pivoted into nonprofit work. Uh, and so that's when I started doing training and development, although I didn't know what that's, that's what it was, right, because it wasn't on the HR side, it wasn't until I went into corporate that it became, oh, this is HR. Like, oh, okay, I didn't know. I thought it was just teaching people how to do stuff. So um, yeah, so I moved into training in HR. And then I would say 2011 was when I got my first certification in coping with work and family stress. And that was the pivot into health and wellness. And I think the other pieces to the story was I've had about three experiences in my long uh, career of working for other organizations where I was either, you know, downsized, right-sized, left-sized, whatever you want to call it. And so in each of those situations, I needed to, you know, I guess by the second one, you're like, oh, you're finding your next opportunity. You're finding your next opportunity. And by the last one, I was like, well, let me just see if I could find a way to do something that I enjoy on my own, right? And that's the that's the short answer to how I started, you know, building my own practice and, and becoming an entrepreneur. So I was not the right, didn't have the paper route, didn't always think mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to run my own business. Like, 
like I said, at 17, 18, you would ask me, I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. So it has definitely been a winding journey to get to this point of managing the coaching and consulting and now building Libby, the chatbot. So, yeah, so let's talk about that because I think, you know, in every entrepreneur's path is usually the same as in there is no path. It just <laughs> you get there, you get there along you uh, at your own pace, at your own way, for your own reasons. Um, and then once you're there, you know that you're there. Like that's like okay, no going back. <laughs> I, I I will do this on my own. What was that moment for you? Where you're like, yep, I'm not going back. This is entrepreneurship is the road for me. Right. So yeah, to to flush that out a little bit more, I think it was like I said, the third time of being um, downsized and started that original process of, you know, interviewing to find the next opportunity. And then at the same time was having conversations with people about, you know, projects like project work, which, you know, this wasn't the gig economy then. So this was, I guess I'll date myself. This was 2004. Uh, so it wasn't automatic that you would just, oh, of course, you're just going to do your own thing. So f- it felt mm-hmm. much more like a risk then than maybe it does for people now. And I remember feeling like even if I didn't get the gig, it felt so much better to have conversations about their needs, their goals. It was like a conversation about possibility, like, oh, you're trying to do this. Maybe I can help you do that versus interviewing for a job always felt like, how can I cram my square peg into your round hole? And and just mm-hmm. I just got tired of that conversation, which to me always felt more like a deficit conversation, right? Like them trying to size me up to see like, okay, does she have what it takes to do here? And, and I know, you know, that's, that's not exactly how it is, but at least in my mind, that's what it felt like. So I, I said, okay, I want to, I want to lean more towards possibility. And I don't know what that exactly is going to look like because that last role was in e-learning. So it wasn't like I could be like, Hey, I'm going to design e-learning for you. But I, I wanted to figure out what are the ways that I can help people help organizations to thrive. And to me, that was more of an exciting possibility than trying to find another role within an organization. Awesome. Uh, And so now that you're a coach, I I feel like, you know, there's never been a better time for um, people to go out and seek coaches uh, because everything's crazy right now. (laughs) So, uh, Tell us about like what sort of why when do you think you need one and what makes you unique? Hmm, great questions. I believe that you can need one, quote unquote, at any time, right? I think there's also been this move towards, and I think particularly within organizations, it's important to to emphasize this, right? Sometimes within organizations. Uh, except for say executive coaching, right? Where in that realm, it's kind of understood that coaching can be for growth and uh, creating new possibilities. In other cases, it's often been, oh, right. It's part of that. This could be on your exit out. Like if we can't get this right, work with this coach. And if that doesn't work, you know, you're out of here. And I think that that's, that's a misconception around coaching, right? If, If you think about athletic coaches, right? You know, they work 
they work with teams and athletes throughout the whole journey. And it's about amplifying performance and, and identifying strengths and uh, finding ways to work on uh, areas of improvement. So I think it can be at any time. And I think it, so then the difference is, right, am I able to get this through my organization or am I searching um, or seeking for this on my own? And so then, then there might be a difference as to, okay, is there something in particular, like a, a goal that you're seeking to accomplish if it's on the career side? And then on the life and wellness side, again, unfortunately, sometimes it's the, oh, I had a setback, right? Oh, you know, my relationship ended or, oh, now I'm in transition um, or, oh, there's a pandemic that happened, right? You know, so um, I think it's, and, and that's okay. And I don't mean to, to say that in a negative way, right? I think we as humans, we do tend to respond to negative situations. There are some of us that, you know, proactively seek out coaching and help. And then others of us, it is, right? I like to say for me, you know, like when the rug gets pulled out from under you and then you're like, whoa, uh-oh, okay, yeah, I, I need some help with that. And then once, and you know, what's what's sort of the kind of thought process of like, okay, now I've got a coach. Um, how do I take all my great learnings from my coach and actually implement them? So I think I think sometimes folks think that coaches are a therapist, or um, they're just. I think there's so much out there, and people get totally confused. Right. Um, and you definitely have a really unique. Uh, way about your approach so i think you know I, how you how you approach it when dealing with clients would be super duper uh helpful for folks to understand sure sure and in 2016 was when i uh, pivoted again and launched the start within coaching uh, services and really aiming to focus to work with women of color because of some of those unique experiences that we mentioned at the start, whether that's on the personal side of dealing with uh, forms of discrimination, as well as on the professional side of dealing with, you know, microaggressions in the workplace and, and opportunities for advancement and how all of that impacts our mental health and well-being. So that is the focus and that is the mission behind it. And it is based, you know, the desire to do that again is based on on my my experiences. And and so yeah, that that lens of looking looking at it. And that's also the foundation the and the lens for Libby um, using a, a form of healing called EFT tapping or emotional freedom technique to help women of color to be able to release the stress and the anxiety and the trauma uh, that we go through in our daily lives. That's so helpful. And, you know, thinking about, you know, this past year, what's that world been like for you as a coach and your clients? Because I know I couldn't have made it through 2020 without my coach. Right. Um, uh, how's that been for you? Because obviously I'm, I'm guessing you were really missing. 
Yeah, I mean, well, on a personal side, I also have been solo quarantining in a way uh, throughout this whole time. So it right, like you say, in terms of where I have been able to find support, whether that's through um, coaching or or other ways, uh, other healing practices for myself. So I definitely have aimed to walk my talk uh, during this this past year. I think, I think, I mean, it's, we all know this, right? 2020 exposed so many things. We were dealing with COVID-19 and the pandemic and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and all of, all of the, and, and some of those things, right? The, those things were happening before 2020, but it's that sense of this uh, hyper-focus on it. And so I think that people are going through all sorts of uh, experiences. You know, there is the trauma of witnessing these things and seeing these videos and watching it on, on online or on TV or wherever. And then what happens when people aren't held accountable for their actions, right? Or when we know that COVID-19 is impacting communities of color, more uh, more than other communities, right? So I think we're dealing with a lot and then compounding that by, okay, how do you manage your own health and well-being? How do you ensure that your family is staying safe? Oh, now I'm working from home. And oh, the thing that I've talked about also with clients is, you know, Zoom being wonderful and, and allowing us to stay connected. And at the same time, thinking about you're now bringing your workplace into your home in many ways, right? Because now we're, we're, it's not like before where it's like, okay, even if it was, if there was something bad that happened, you're like, okay, I could leave that at the office. Right. And then, and then come home. But now there's the aspect of, okay, you're bringing your home into your house. So how is it that you create space for yourself? How is it that you ground and how is it that you unplug after those experiences. And that's not to say, even if it's not a negative experience working, just that sense of how do you maintain your boundaries when everything may be happening all in the same space. That, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, it's been, it's been so weird. I think we just all have been like, how do we navigate all of this? How do we survive it? Because, and also I think, you know, an interesting thing that I'm kind of seeing is that as we're coming up on the year of this, that folks are hitting a wall. Right. Uh, and very much, even, I, I think even myself, I was like, oh God, really? <laughs> this is, um, and how do you navigate that and kind of push through to kind of find, you know, that next step is, is not easy. It's um, not, so, it's not. And so, you know, it's interesting because ne- because now I'd love for you to talk about Libby, because I think these two sort of play well together. Absolutely. So for those listeners who may not be familiar with uh, EFT or emotional freedom technique, also called tapping, is a form of counseling that combines lots of evidence-based modalities, which I love. So if you think of acupuncture, you might think of um, NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, as well as energy medicine. So what does all of that mean? It basically means you're using your fingertips to tap on meridian points. So primarily in your um, head and upper body and 
you're also speaking about your issues. So for example, I, I would, if we went back to your uh, earlier example, Laura, so you're, you're in the diner and you'd be tapping like, I can't believe they're staring at me. Why are they looking right. at us? When are we going to be able to get back on the bus? And as, as you'd be saying those things, you'd be tapping on points. And it's this combination. It's a form of somatic healing by speaking the issue and tapping on the points at the same time. It helps to relieve the stress, the anxiety, because we all know that the mind and body are connected. And so that's why um, I love I love this form of healing. And so it's something that I share with clients individually through our coaching sessions. And I also do group programming. So back in 2019 was I had this first idea around, well, you know, interesting about tapping because A, a lot of, or many people will know it, but they don't necessarily always do it. When I would ask, you know, like in workshops, like how many of you know it, you might get half of the room. And then I would ask, okay, those of you that know it, how many of you do it on a regular basis? And it would be like, yeah, right. My therapist said I should. Oh, right. I did this. So I started to think like, is there a way to develop a tool that would support people in being able to tap on a more regular basis. And when I thought about it, it was like, oh, okay, the points don't change. Lots of things about tapping doesn't change. So that's when I thought, hmm, maybe a chat bot. And, and then the idea kind of went away a little bit and then cut to 2020. And I had actually mentioned this to a friend who is a uh, another healer and yoga instructor but who had since become a teacher. And she said, have you built that thing yet? Because I would love to have it on a tablet and use it with my kids. And I was kind of like, yeah, no, I, I haven't yet. <laughs> so that reinvigorated the idea. And then, like I said, COVID happened, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. And that's when really became the pivot to, okay, let's build this for, for women of color as a way to release this stress and anxiety. And that's how... Libby was created. And right now we're in a beta test for uh, users to test the web version of Libby to be able to tap with it. And so we can train Libby to be more smart and help more women. Awesome. And so, you know, can anyone like figure out how to do the tapping or if they require uh, someone to essentially guide them on how to do it? What you need for tapping really is to understand where the points are, right? So once you know where the points are, and uh, it's it's definitely something that you can do on your own, and you can do it with guidance. So there are videos out there, like I said, events, working with practitioners, and that was the reason to create Libby as another way because the other aspect that's really helpful is when you watch a video it's great but you're then repeating what someone has already recorded in a video saying versus as you do it with yourself or with a practitioner or with Libby you are speaking more about your own personal issues if that makes sense oh yeah I took makes total sense awesome so you know in, in kind of doing all this work you know tell me about a time where you were like had a challenge and you're like there's no way i'm going to figure this out and then you did we're so excited to have soho works as the sponsor for the 29 days of magic campaign you know they're designed by soho house and their workspaces to help 
creative thinkers, businesses, small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK. And they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feel safe. I've you know been able to meet some really awesome people, which you haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re- record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SoHoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. Uh, so that would be yesterday? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> every, day, every day of the pandemic, yes. Uh, yeah, I was like, as an entrepreneur, isn't that like, don't we do that every, every day? Every no. day. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the experience of bringing Libby to life is one of those, uh, because I am, I am becoming a tech founder, although, uh, and I, I did build the initial wireframe of Libby so that I could demo it and share it with potential users. Um, but I, I'm not a, a, a tech person by training. So that's why it has taken a little bit to, to bring it to this point. And it was one of those wonderful serendipity moments. I was actually pitching Libby at an event and a conversation designer reached out to me after that event and said, hey, this sounds great. I'd love to work with you on this. And that's how we got to our first prototype. So yes, that sense of how do, how do you keep your motivation and your desire going, right? That's the challenge. And then continue to share what your vision is, share what your goals are in a way that then attracts other people to want to be part of that story. That is so true. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's such a struggle to figure it all out. It's like, oh gosh. Um, and getting people to come along on, a, on the ride for you are, is, the, is, the, is really the hardest part about all of this. So I, I totally get it. Um, well, you know, it's, you know, thinking about that and navigating that, but then also you have to work with clients who need your help on a daily basis, especially in the middle of a pandemic. What in the world do you do for self-care? <laughs> well, I do, I do actually tap. So that is, I, I do tapping. I, I'm also a big fan of essential oils. So I use a lot of essential oils. I, I have a book, I like to call it a bookend meditation practice. So at the start of my day and at the end of my day at night, uh, meditating. The one thing that I'm, I'm longing to do again, though, is get getting back to the beach. The beach is my happy place. And I I did not uh, take any form of transportation out to the beach last summer. And that that was sad. So that I'm looking forward to getting out to uh, Rockaway at least. I don't even want to say at least once. I'm I'm going to I'm going to the beach this year, 2021. That's it. <laughs> yeah, we because you have to. You you absolutely have to because gosh. Otherwise, like to see inhale some of the fresh air and water that and um, that comes off of the beach is necessary. Yes, because we've all been kind of cooped up inside. So I am with you on that one as well. Um, 
because it's been it's been a lot. <laughs> so, it has. I get it, it has. Um, you know, looking back on what you've done over the last you know parts of your career, what do you think you'd tell twenty five year old Colette? Mm, that's a great question. Then I have to sort of do in my head like, what was twenty five year old Colette doing <laughs> at the time, <laughs> causing, causing trouble, probably. Probably, hopefully, she was causing trouble, um, good trouble, right? That's what John Lewis says, right? We all need to get into into some good trouble. I would say it's almost like you don't even know, right? Because it's, I, I wouldn't have been, I'm not doing exactly what I was doing then now, but yeah, keep, keep open, keep searching, keep seeking. It's going to look differently than you think it will. And yet it will, it will still be good. Ah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think, you know, when you look back on it all, you're like, all right, there was some really good stuff here. <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah, and I think because it's that sense of, and at that time at 25, right, like, was I even thinking entrepreneurship, right? So that's why it's, that's why the different paths, right, that, that the non-traditional paths have value, and that's something I think I still aim to tell myself now, right? Because looking back and seeing people who have taken more traditional paths and thinking, hmm, did I miss something, right? But no, I've taken this path and I don't know. I still don't know where exactly it's going to lead, but it's still going to be good. Well, that's the thing I think is so important for folks to hear. And it's why I always ask this question, because I want people to understand that like, the road isn't going to be the same for everyone. The grass is not greener. It's just grass. And the journey is the fun, the fun part about this. And you don't need a defined path. You don't have to have everything solved by the time you're 30 or 35 or even 40. Um, you know, just keep putting one foot in front of the other um, and trying and, and doing the best that you can and, and owning up to what you've got to do. And, then, and you're on your way. Exactly. Awesome. And so last question for you. Um, do you have a give and don't ask of the audience? Mm, very cool. Well, if you are a, what we call BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, or other woman of color, we would love for you to join the beta test uh, to test Libby and get some healing through EFT tapping and uh, we'll share that information with Laura and her team to make sure that you know how to sign up for that and and that's technically it's an offer and an ask right like so you're you're gaining um, some some health and some healing and we would be getting some uh, very crucial and valuable feedback uh, to be building something that you want and that you need and that you can use and on the coaching side, I also do offer a uh, complimentary discovery call to see if the type of life and health coaching that I do could be a right fit for you. Awesome. And we will put all those details in the show notes for folks to check it out because I think uh, I am fascinated. I want to try it. <laughs> so I'm going to sign up for the beta. I, I do fall into the bucket. Um, so I definitely want to try it out. And Colette, oh my gosh, you're just, 
so chock full of this wonderful energy and wisdom. It's just a delight to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Laura. And I and I applaud and appreciate all that you have been doing with this wonderful feature on Fantastic Women. So kudos to you as well. Ah, oh, thanks so much. Uh, and that is our show.